to the eight. Happy New Year, everybody. Raise your hand if you heard of Rich, Richard Dawkins. Has anybody heard of Richard Dawkins? Nobody heard? Yeah. Come Nobody? Okay, Ryan? Nobody? Nobody else? Richard Dawkins is a super, super smart scientist. He's an evolutionary biologist. Uh, he's atheist, but a very smart guy. I love listening to seeing how he thinks uh, of, 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 of denying the reality of, of God working and how he approaches everything just from a purely scientific approach. One of the things he says is all of life is either you get super lucky or you just get super not lucky. Like everything is just random. Like to him, that's just like why some people get really lucky and some people have a tremendous amount of tragedy and crisis and hardships in their life and some, somebody might not. He, his interpretation is some people get lucky and some people don't. You and I have a hard time of embracing that truth that Richard Dawkins says. We have a hard time. When hardship comes our way, what is our natural response? Is we want to make sense of it. We try to find the reason behind it. When good things happen in our life, we don't question it. Because selfishly, it's good for us. But when bad things happen, we begin to question. We begin to start asking, you know, is there a God? Why would God allow this? What is the purpose of all of this? And when we begin to question, why are we unable to just embrace pain for what it is? Why can't we just say, well, it stinks. I just lost my job. Well, we just broke up. Well, whatever. Why can't we just embrace pain? Oh, just got coped. Why can't we just embrace pain for what it is and not question things? We are sealed with the divine within us. We are sealed with the divine within us. This, I'm, what I'm, I'm, I'm taking the words of an early Christian by the name of St. Isaac the Syrian. He says, we are decorated with the seal of the divine. We are decorated with the seal of the divine within us. Since we are sealed with the, with the seal of the, of, uh, since we are sealed with the divine within us, we begin to question things. And that comes from God himself. For us to try to, to pursue what is the purpose of this, the, of this hardship? What is this leaning toward? It's hard for any of us, regardless of your worldview, to embrace what Richard Dawkins says, that some people just get lucky and some people don't get lucky. An early uh, a Jewish king by the name of King Solomon, he said these words. In his meditation of, of, how God, of, how, of who God is. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can comprehend, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. The, the, the fullness of our view of the divine is we are unable to fathom the mechanism of how God works within our lives. But we all fall into a trap of trying to understand, well, God probably did this because of this. Well, if there is a God, he probably did it for X, Y, and Z reason. We try to make it down into a formula. But the purest and fullest understanding of how God is or who he is, we are unable to fathom, as King Solomon has said. We are unable to fathom. In our ancient prayers during the Advent fast, how do we describe God in the fraction in which we pray every liturgy? The uncontainable, the, the unapproachable, the immeasurable divine being put on skin. We are describing, describing who he is not. This is our fullest version of understanding God. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity 
in the human heart. Since eternity, the pursuit of eternity is within our hearts. This is why we are unable to settle with, well, that stinks. This is just something really bad just happened to me. We are unable to just keep it at that. We are yearning for more. Why? Because God has set eternity in the human heart. Okay, maybe not many of you heard of Richard Dawkins. Have you guys heard of C.S. Lewis? Maybe? Hopefully? Yeah. C.S. Lewis, he said these words. I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Let me read what C.S. Lewis said. A great book called Mere Christianity. He said this. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. What is C.S. Lewis saying? Something we can all relate to. is I'm trying to find something that, that will satisfy me, something that will like, quench my thirst, that, 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 that would just make me feel alive and full. I try to find it in this world, and I can't. I always fall short. And since I always fall short and I can't find that thing that just completes me, then I know that I am made for another world. That's logical sense, and that's the, the, the itch in every single human being. We all try to find that, maybe by this career or this person or this hobby or this habit or this identification. This is what will fulfill me. This will make me feel alive and free and liberated. But then we end up seeing that implode. We see that having an expiration date, and then we end up wanting to pursue more in this world. Think about how you and I talk. Well, everything happens for a reason. Well, I guess it just wasn't meant to be. No, I don't believe in coincidence. Right? Isn't that, isn't that the, the, the language? Isn't that the jargon that we, we, we talk? Regardless, again, this, this is outside of a Christian ethic worldview. We talk like that. It was meant to ha- be like that. Right? It, we, we, everything happens for a reason. We end up talking like that. Why? Inside of us is the seal of the divine within us. It's hard for us to just say that everything is just random and some people get lucky and some people don't. We know that there is a common thread between all of this and this is God working within it all. When hardship comes our way, which is a guaranteed, two things, two extremes happen and sometimes we fall in the middle. We say, you know what? I'm done with this whole pursuit of God thing. I'm done with this whole, the, this whole Christian thing. Because I, you know, I, I, I thought good things happened to Christian people. Obviously, hardship still came my way, so I'm done with all of that. And some people walk the other way. Some people start questioning things, which is the other extreme. But then the questioning of, of, of why this is happening is growing our faith is making us t- take the trust away from ourselves and leaning or to- leans us toward trusting God more. We still desire to have the purpose, or why is there an order to things in this world? The questioning of why God is doing this is what is allowing us to grow. We see King David, through all his hardships that he had, he questioned God tremendously. But through those prayers of questioning why God is doing this, this is where he found an intimate bond and love of his father. Imagine that there is this transcendent being, this uncontainable being. And imagine, but for many of you, you see that reality, that this unapproachable being intersects with our temporal world. That God, who is ethereal, 
were unable to fathom, as King Solomon said, intersects our lives in a real, practical, historical, tangible way in our lives. You know that to being Jesus. St. Irenaeus, an early Christian, an early Christian by the name of St. Irenaeus. Just so you can understand, he's, I'm about to share this quote. Before we read this quote, this is written by an early Christian by the name of St. Irenaeus. He wrote this in the year 150, okay? So we're just talking about 100 years after Jesus. Just, I, I want you to understand the, the apostolic succession of the fullness of the ancient church. St. Irenaeus is a disciple. So if you have St. John the Evangelist, who was the first, first eyewitness of Jesus, his disciple was named Polycarp. Polycarp had another disciple, had a friend. His name was Irenaeus. So this is a direct lineage, the, the same streamline, the same theology, the fullness of the church. This is what he, he, he wrote down explaining the reality of who Jesus is or explaining the reality of why Christmas is such a big deal. He said these words, God became human. God became human so that humanity might become divine. God became human so that humanity might become divine. And there is tremendous amount of paraphrases that are derivatives of this quote from St. Irenaeus. St. Athanasius, who was Coptic himself, he said God became man in order for man to become God. That God, that the, the divine, put on human form in order for us to see with clarity that we are divine. And there's unlimited amount of paraphrases to this, but this, this is Christmas in a nutshell. This is Christianity in a nutshell. This is why our pursuit of, 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 of a higher being is not theoretical. This is why the Nativity Feast is central to, to, to our morality and ethics and worldview because the centrality is God becoming man. I'm not going to ask this a question. I'll, I'm done with the questions. But the, I watched the movie Soul, the new Disney uh, Pixar movie. And I watched it like on Disney Plus and you can um, like you can uh, like see like uh, behind the scenes. I always love seeing behind the scenes of movies and stuff like that. Like I watched Wonder Woman. I wanted to see like the making of it in DC and stuff like that. I like seeing behind the scenes of stuff. So I watched behind the scenes of how they made uh, Soul, the Disney Pixar movie. And the whole movie is about the what's the purpose of life. And they, it's a Disney movie and they're talking about it. And I watched like how they came up with like how did they draw like this um, I forgot what they called heaven, but, but how did they drew, drew this stuff? Like, why did they draw things the way they did for this movie? And one of the things that stuck out to me is they said every meeting they had, okay, how should we draw heaven? How should we draw X, Y, and Z? How should we draw whatever? That you know what their answer was? Well, just make it look ethereal. Make it look like it's you can't hold it. Make sure, just make it look spiritual. And that was their answer to all their meetings. Of course, this is not a Christian movie, but it's, it's, it's a cool movie. But I'm saying it's, it, it's not based on, on, a, on a Christian theology. But the, what was driving, the, how to drive things was like, just make it look like you can't grasp it. Make it just seem spiritual. We live in a world, in a post-Christian world, where we want, to, we, want, we want to be spiritual. We want to be spiritual. But for us, why Christianity is so radical away from just being spiritual is that because most worldviews is humanity climbing up to a mountain to pursue life. Most worldviews is humanity trying to pursue the divine, this transcendent being. But the centrality of Christianity is this transcendent being came down the mountain. We do not have to try to pursue this ethereal being. And most spiritualities is, is, this, is this theoretical approach. 
as, as they were discussing in this movie, Soul. But for us, it's, 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 it's real. Is, is, is that this transcendent being came down the mountain for, for him to be practical and real and personal. This radical approach to spirituality and how Christianity changed the course of world history planted a seed of curiosity in one man by the name of St. Luke the Evangelist. This is an Ethiopian Orthodox icon of St. Luke the Evangelist. He was a physician. His personality was very research-oriented. He wanted to question everything and look into the details of every little thing. So he talked to everybody he could possibly talk to, to understanding all the full details of this transcendent being intersecting with our temporal world. In other words, he wanted to know everything about who Jesus was. And we have this record being in the gospel according to St. Luke. He said these words, Many have undertaken, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. He's saying many things, many, many people have tried to undertake to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. What has been fulfilled? That God became man, that the divine became human. This has what has been fulfilled. And so many people have been so curious of this, of, 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 of this historical reality that many people have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. This is the opening of his manuscript. This is the opening passage of St. Luke, of, of his gospel. This is why in our Coptic Orthodox Church, throughout the Advent season, throughout the Advent fast leading up to Nativity Feast, leading up to Christmas, we read on Sundays all, all, the, 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 the opening segments, opening chapters of the gospel according to St. Luke because he did extensive, thorough, comprehensive research and understanding who Jesus is. His life was transformed once he realized who Jesus was. And this is why the lectionary of our liturgical church is we go, we go really into the gospel according to St. Luke. We continue. Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Most scholars would say Theophilus was a really wealthy, rich scholar who funded St. Luke to do his research. But think of it like a, like a thesis paper. So Theophilus wanted to fund St. Luke to do his research because he was kind of interested in knowing who Jesus was himself. I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. St. Luke continues. He records this record. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, most historians would say Elizabeth is a relative to to uh, Virgin Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Again, think of how St. Luke is writing. He's wanting to make sure he captures all the details in his research. He's saying that, 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 that Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth. He, he mentioned the city, in a town of Galilee, so specifically we can know where this is, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Who's Joseph? I'm sure there's plenty of other people named Joseph. No, he's the descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Sometimes we read these accounts and remove the emotion. Imagine, imagine a, a, a teenage girl, a 
and an angel telling her that you are highly favored? Mary was, gre- Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Understandably, St. Mary responds, How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. The fullness of the first century church puts tremendous amount of weight on this woman named Mary, who, from our records, spoke very little. If you go to an Orthodox seminary, you can study the life of St. Mary, which her words are minimal. You can count it on your hands. But her spirit of her approaching, God intersecting her life, This study of St. Mary is called Mariology. Mariology, I'm not making that up. But you can study the spirit of who she was and how she responded to being invited to the narrative of God working within her life. Here's a young woman. Someone told her that you're highly favored. You're about to bear the divine within you. And now she's probably walking around town, going to a grocery store, and everyone is talking about her, seeing, seeing how she's pregnant, and she's having to deal with that. She's eventually have to, having to travel with Joseph to a foreign, pharaonic country of Egypt with tremendous amounts of unknowns and what was in front of her. Her being pregnant and having to deal with that stress, having to give birth in the worst condition not in a comfortable, temperature-controlled room, but in the midst of, 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 of animals, she ended up seeing this boy, Jesus, bring restoration and fullness to humanity and her having to see her son die. Her having to see her son die. She accepted the invitation to be part of the narrative of God working in this world. This transcendent being intersecting with our temporal world was not a one-time event. It is ongoing. Just as St. Mary bore God and she accepted the invitation, we are, accept- we are invited to that same narrative. We are invited to that same narrative. Perfect faith. Perfect faith doesn't necessarily alter our circumstance. Do you think St. Mary had questions about what on earth is going on? 
Yeah, but her perfect trust is knowing that God is someone I am unable to fathom of how he's able to work. Who am I to, to describe the mechanism and the details of how God can work? Perfect faith doesn't necessarily alter our circumstance. Perfect faith alters us towards trusting God. We, what makes so many people walk away from prayer, church, Jesus, walk away from all of it, saying, I prayed, and my mom still died. I prayed, and I still lost my job. I prayed, we still ended up getting divorced. And they walk away. Perfect faith doesn't necessarily alter our circumstance. Perfect faith alters us towards trusting God. God moved towards us in the reality of Christmas. And we are invited to move toward him. What was St. Mary's response to all of this? Of all the stress and, and getting such a loaded message of how she is going to literally transform the course of world history. What was her response? I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. If you unpack that, she understood. The uncontainable, unapproachable, immutable, incomprehensible, transcendent being, I am your servant. May your word be to me fulfilled. Christmas is a reminder of the narrative of tangible healing. Christmas is a reminder of the narrative of tangible healing. It's not theoretical to us. It's not just God. The centrality is Jesus. Think of our hymnology in our Orthodox Church. We say, we worship you, O Christ, with your good Father and the Holy Spirit. For you have come and saved us. The centrality is worshiping Christ with your good Father and the Holy Spirit. Why? For you have come. Just as St. Mary bore that reality. And this is why we call her the, 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 the bearer of God, Theotokos, the mother of God. We are called to be, quote-unquote, little Marys. We're, quote, quote, we're, we're invited to bear him in our lives. We are invited to that same narrative. As she, as she accepted that invitation 2,000 years ago, we are invited to that same truth. I pray that these last few days of the Advent fast, leading to us celebrating the unapproachable becoming approachable, that the, the intangible becoming tangible, the unseen becoming seen as we move in these last days and hours of that, that it can become a personal truth to us for it not to be theoretical, for it not just to be a holiday, but it is a personal truth that we can accept the invitation of God becoming personal just as St. Mary accepted that same invitation. Let us stand up and pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we are so grateful that we do not have to figure out what we should do in this world, what we should not do. I'm so grateful that we don't have to figure that out in just in, in, in text or a bunch of do's and don't do's. It, it's, 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 not, it's not broad. It's not theoretical to us. But out of your abundant love for us, 
that you became real, you became tangible, you became approachable, you became personal to us. We don't have to guess that the, the divine is in our midst. The divine who's who we are invited to abide in through communion. That you are a personal reality to us. Lord, I pray that Christmas can be that to us. That regardless of where we are, that we can see with clarity that you, God, a transcendent being, became personal. And you came and have invited us to call you, and you call us your friends. Through the prayers of the Mother of God, St. Mary, and all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, guys. Here's all the details for Nativity Feast. I hope